happy birthday, America, 245 years old, right? So let's just celebrate the country that God has blessed us to live in. Sure. You know, as history records, many of our founding fathers had a faith that inspired them as well as influenced them as they laid the foundation of the country that we live in. And you see that faith in many different expressions of our country, the Declaration of Independence, also inscribed in granite on many of our federal buildings as well as stamped on our currency is the phrase, in God we trust. I mean, the, the roots of our country go back to a faith that was rich and a dependence on God. With that said, I think there's probably two groups of people who are here today. There's one group that you're still waiting for us to sing the battle hymn of a republic or God bless America because today's the 4th of July and you love our country. There's another group of people though that are here today that might find themselves what I would describe as disenfranchised. You kind of look around at the state of our country, spiritually speaking, and kind of wonder like, what is the future of our country? Where's our country headed? What's the reputation we have in the world around us? And in the eyes of God, you know, what do we look like to him? Well, it's not accidental that today we chose a person from the Bible that I think by learning from his life would might help both groups. It would help us not abandon the rich uh, heritage of faith that we have inherited from others, but also to not lose hope as we look around and see like depravity and sinfulness in the culture around us. We're continuing our sermon series called People of a Faithful God. And what we've tried to do over the last couple of weeks is just look at the character of God, his faithfulness, and learn how to respond. The first week we looked at Abraham and we saw Abraham responding to the faithfulness of God by being obedient. Last week, we saw Nehemiah responding to the faithfulness of God by reconciling and restoring the people around him, the things that were broken in the world around him. I really appreciated Ali Ruhi, uh, our guest speaker last week from Centerset Church in Silicon Valley, California. He's one of our church planning partners. I thought he did a great job challenging us from the life of Nehemiah. Yes. I just hated all the UK jokes he littered in along the way, right? That wasn't really nice. Anyway. A friend of mine said that on Monday evening, he and his wife went up to their bedroom to go to sleep and he stepped over a pile of laundry that was laying in the floor to which she said, pick it up. And then she chucked the shoe at him, you know, it's like, so I hope we learned a little bit more from Ali than just that, right? Well, today we're going to look at the life of Daniel. Daniel uh, is recorded, he has a book in the Bible, the Old Testament named after him. If you want, grab your Bible and turn to Daniel. We're gonna jump in there in just a few moments. I think we can learn from Daniel how to respond to a faithful God by being dependent. It might be helpful to have a little context of where we find and pick up the life story of Daniel. Right now, God's people, the nation of Israel, who had been warned numerous times by numerous prophets to turn back to God, to quit living in disobedience. Well, they find themselves in a predicament. God, because he loved them so much, allowed his people to be disciplined by him allowing them to be attacked and overtaken by the country or the nation of Babylon. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel prophesied that this was going to happen. And the book of Daniel gives us some chronological context, some historical context as we begin looking. Daniel chapter one, look at verses one and two. In the third year of reign, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Now, all this occurred in 605 B.C. King Jehoiakim was one of the worst kings of Judah. He was nothing like his father, Josiah, who loved and honored and obeyed God. King Nebuchadnezzar had attacked Jerusalem many times, but this time, like verse two uh, cited, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim and the nation of Israel into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that might cause you to question God's faithfulness from the get-go here today. I mean, why would God let something like that happen? Why would he turn his back on the people of Israel, a group of people he had promised to be their God forever? Well, the fall of of, of Jerusalem actually aligns with judgment that was associated with the covenant that God had made with his people. It is also a fulfillment of prophecy. It was God being true to his word. Listen to his words through his spokesman Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 28. Moses says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on earth. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Then all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. If you, oh, next, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. One of the curses is the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation with, a res- with no respect for the old or pity for the young. Just as it pleased the Lord to make you prosper and increase in number, it will please him to ruin and destroy you. You'll be uprooted from the land that you are entering to possess. God is faithful. He is true to his promises. You can take him at his word. You should take him at his word. While Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in control and he was dominating the world, it was really God's sovereignty and his divine rule at work. He was upholding his word and his promise to the nation of Israel that if they obeyed him, he was going to bless them. If they disobeyed them, they would be disciplined. Not only were the walls of Jerusalem destroyed, the temple burned down and articles of worship taken as spoils, Nebuchadnezzar also told his officials to take captives. Continue reading with me now in verse three. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand. I kind of think of Paul Lingy when I read these descriptions here, right? Qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The king's official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. 
to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The king wanted to reprogram these young Israelites. He wanted to weaken the prospect of there ever being a strong Israelite nation. And he also wanted to strengthen the Babylonian society. He introduced them to new customs and new culture. He gave them a new diet and he gave them new names. This full immersion into a new culture was to wear them down and to win them over. But I love the description of Daniel in verse eight. It says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Babylon was where Daniel was living now, but Babylon would never be Daniel's home. Daniel is most likely a teenager along with his other three companions. And they had the courage to make such radical commitment to God in the face of extreme pressure. They had been raised to know God. They understood his ways. But in this moment, it required Daniel and his three friends to trust the faithfulness of God and to honor him. They trusted God so much that Daniel proposed a test to the official. He said, let us only eat vegetables and water and then compare us to the other captives after 10 days. At the end of these 10 days, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah looked healthier and better nourished than all the others. So the official took away all the choice food from the rest of the captives. I'm sure they were thrilled by that, right? I had the chance over the last two weeks to travel up to Camp Ileana and see our students, our, our uh, staff and volunteers enjoying camp uh, this summer. Over 600 students were there learning about how to live and love like Jesus. I loved being there and cheering my teammates on and seeing the students growing in their faith. And Joel Hensley, who is our youth and kids worship director, made a statement the other night at middle school camp that, that caught my attention. He said to the students assembled there, there is no junior Holy Spirit. He said, even at your young age, middle school kids, you know, 11 to 13, you have the opportunity to have such influence. You can change the world around you right now. It reminded me of what Paul was to tell Timothy or what he told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anybody look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your life, in your love, in your faith and purity. And I believe that the students of this church are not the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. And they are capable and God filled with his Holy Spirit can change the world around them. And I wanna just encourage you and continue to applaud you to live the way that God called you to live. And that's what I see in, in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Even at a young age, they were living faithfully to God. These young men had the courage to stand strong in the face of the king and the evilness around them. Compromise was not a word in their vocabulary when it came to spiritual commitment and conviction. King Nebuchadnezzar selected these four for his service. None were equal to them. In verse 17, it says, these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This came in real handy for Daniel because the next thing recorded about him in scripture is him interpreting the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he called all the wise people around him and said, I want you to tell me my dream and then interpret it. And none of them could. But Daniel came to King Nebuchadnezzar, not only told him what his dream was, but he also interpreted. He said, King, 
You dreamed about a statue, and this statue had a head that was made of gold. Its chest and arms were of silver. Its belly and thighs were of bronze, legs of iron, and his feet was made of clay and iron mixed. And in this dream, a rock was cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. And that rock smashed the statue into pieces. Daniel was able to not just tell the king his dream, he interpreted the dream for him. And he stated that following King Nebuchadnezzar, there would be three more kingdoms followed by a final kingdom that would never end. Now, most scholars and interpreters think that what Daniel was pointing to was a prophecy about that rock that we would come to know as Jesus and that the kingdom that would never end would be the kingdom of God. King Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with Daniel, he appointed him ruler over all of Babylon. And Daniel asked his three friends to be appointed as administrators. It seemed to work that way back in those days as well. It seemed like the king recognized God for who he is. But the dream inspired him to build a statue of himself made of gold. And this statue, it's, he was told all the people in the land that they must bow down and worship this gold statue of him. Now, Daniel's not mentioned in this moment of time, but his three friends, now identified by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are observed not bowing down to the gold statue. I may have told you this before, but uh, I always wanted to name a child of ours the name Shadrach. And when Christy and I got married, that was something I said to her. It did not make her list of kids' names. And so we did not end up naming any of our three kids Shadrach. I was a little disappointed. And then we got a dog. And she said, hey, now's your chance, big guy. If you wanna name something in the Heller family Shadrach, you can name the dog. So we, for the last 13 years, have had this little shit zoo named Shadrach, right? And it's come in real handy. I mean, I thought, you know, if he ever finds himself in the fire, the Lord is with him, right? And that seems to be biblical. But it's also come in handy when my two daughters bring boys home who are their boyfriends, you know? And they'll say, oh, that's a cute little dog. What's its name? And I'll say, Shadrach. And they're like, huh, that's a weird name. Where'd you get that? And I'm like, huh, you've not been in Bible school or Sunday school a lot. So get on out of here. Like, uh, he's a ferocious dog. He'll chew your leg off, you know? Start Start cleaning my gun at that moment, right? <laughs> when this moment, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resisting the king's order to bow before this statue. The king had been very clear what the punishment would be. They'd be thrown into a blazing furnace. I love the response of these three men. Look at Daniel chapter three, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, I'd encourage you to underline that phrase. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. What would have caused such a confident response from these three? Well, they trusted in the faithfulness of God. I'm sure that they were aware of the promises that the prophet Isaiah had recorded in scripture. They'd heard these words before, words that says, this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. 
When you pass through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord, am your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. If you're not familiar with what happened next in this moment, let me briefly recap. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bound. They were thrown into a blazing furnace that was so hot, the soldiers throwing them into the fire died at the spot. Immediately, the king noticed that there was not just three people walking around the fire, but there was a fourth one. And he exclaimed, that fourth person looks like the son of God. That's why we often sing as a congregation, another in the fire. It's a song that reminds us that whatever we might be going through, God's presence is with us, that we're not abandoned even in the fire. The king ordered them to come out. And they did without having been burned. Their clothes weren't singed in any way and they didn't even smell like smoke. Now that's maybe a miracle because like I had a campfire Friday night and we've smelled like smoke all weekend, right? And you go with somebody who's smoking and like you always smell like that, right? And yet this miracle happens. Listen to the king's reaction in verse 28. King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save this way. The king recognized the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness gave these young men the courage to stand strong in the face of the king and the evil that surrounded them. Compromise, like I said, was not in their vocabulary. The king's recognition of God, it wasn't that consistent because chapter four records the king having another dream. And in this dream, he was told that his kingdom was going to come to an end. And it was indicated by a tree being cut down with a stump remaining. The dream also indicated that the king would not just lose his kingdom, but he would lose his mind as well. Daniel told the king that the dream indicated that he would become like an animal. He would eat grass like a cow and he would grow feathers and claws like a bird. And all of that happened because that's what God was doing. And Daniel states that the king's rule and sanity would return if he acknowledged God. And it did when he did. You know, it's another moment of God being true to his word and Nebuchadnezzar having to find out the hard way that God is faithful. D.A. Carson says this, the book of Daniel, even the parts that may be viewed as historical should not be thought of as a merely balanced and orderly account of the affairs in Babylon. Rather, it portrays select moments of high tension in the ongoing conflict between the kingdoms of light and darkness. From the record of divine intervention in such dramatic events, the reader is intended to gain encouragement for all contemporary spiritual struggles. Chapter five records a new king is now in charge. His name is Belshazzar. He's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. We're not going to take a look at today all that it says about his life, but let me just simply comment that, that Belshazzar was a decadent man. He was full of sinfulness, idolatry, as well as blasphemy. While he was hosting a party with some of his officials and countrymen, the hand of God literally showed up and began writing on the wall of the banquet hall a message to the king 
That message in the original language was meaning, meaning, tickle Parsons. And Daniel was able to translate that to the king, this message. God has numbered the days of your rule and have brought it to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and will be given to the Medes and Persians. King Belshazzar died that very night. And a new king, Darius the Mede, took over. And chapter six records the most famous of Daniel's life moments. But you may not realize that when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he was in his 80s. If you thought it was kind of crazy for Abraham to be having a baby at 100, it's not really fair to push an old man in a, den, in a hole where there's a bunch of lions, right? But that's exactly what happened. Daniel was recognized by Darius as wise, as capable, and he intended to promote him as the ruler over all of Babylon. But the other officials heard this, they got jealous, and they thought, we gotta get rid of that guy. And so they tried to figure out a way to trap him. They, they looked for some inconsistency in his life and they couldn't find any. They tried to find some corruptness and they couldn't. It might not be hard to find today in our world, but it seemed like Daniel was just living consistently all in his life. And so they kind of came up with a trap. They knew if they could force Daniel to choose between obeying God and obeying the king, they'd have him. And so they persuaded King Darius to make a law that for the next 30 days, no one could pray to anyone or anything except the king. And if they did, they'd be thrown into a den of lions. And so the king agreed to that. And how did Daniel respond? Well, Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home. He went up to an upstairs room where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel had always been a man of prayer, not just in this moment, and nor did he stop praying in this moment. He didn't pray so that people would see him. He did what he'd always had done. It wasn't for a show, it was a consistent practice. What started in his youth was still bearing fruit even in his 80s. In the face of such peril, Daniel prayed and thanked God. Now, of course, these rabble-razzers, they, they went right to the king to tattle, and they said, we caught Daniel praying, and so, the king brought Daniel in. He tried every possible way to get Daniel off the hook, but the accusers wouldn't let him. And so the king threw Daniel to the lions. And as he did, he said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And he did. That night, Darius was up all night, tossing and turning. He didn't take any food. He didn't take any entertainment. And at the same time, Daniel was asleep in the den to the purr of lions, I think snuggled up to one big fuzzy one to keep warm that night. And the next morning, Darius ran to the lion's den and he called out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And he had. Look what happened in Daniel chapter six. It says in verse 21, Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. 
And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Daniel was shielded by God's power through faith, not from danger, but in danger. Maybe some of you need to hear that today because you've maybe been praying for quite some time that God would take you out of the situation you find yourself. Maybe it's the place you work. Maybe your boss is hard on you. Maybe he's critical of the faith that is so dear to you. Maybe your coworkers are more than annoying, they are antagonistic, and you keep praying, God, give me a new job. Maybe God wants to provide for you in the danger instead of take you out of the danger. Maybe it's a relationship with a neighbor, a friend. Maybe it's tension in your marriage or family. Maybe it's a health crisis that you're going through right now and you keep praying that God would rescue you. Maybe what God is doing is giving you the strength and showing you his faithfulness in the danger instead of from the danger. The miracles that we read about in Daniel and all throughout scripture are not contrary to just how nature works. They are actually primarily contrary to the way that evil and the powers of darkness work in their life and the fact that evil and darkness will one day be vanquished by the power of the kingdom of light, our God himself. All these are testimonies of God's faithfulness. Author and scholar Warren Wearsby writes this. I've heard it said that there are two tests in life, the test of adversity and the test of prosperity. The challenge, of course, during the test of adversity is not to give in to despair, not to doubt God's love, power, and presence in our lives. The challenge during the test of prosperity is to not forget God, not to become self-sufficient and proud. I think the story of Daniel is a great example of a man who was able to navigate the waters of adversity as well as prosperity because his faith was anchored in the faithfulness of God. Daniel believed that God had everything in control, that he was actually orchestrating the events of the world to accomplish his purposes and declare his glory. And Daniel trusted God's plan. I want you to know that we live in a great country. I am proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. This past week, we had friends visiting who are serving as missionaries in Tanzania. Both these young ladies have married Tanzanian men and, and they recognize that their passport as a U.S. citizen gives them all kinds of freedom and privileges. And their husbands with Tanzanian passports can't even really get out of their own country. We live in a great country. And we should never be ungrateful for the privileges that we have and the freedoms that we have. But I also think that you recognize we live in some pretty scary times. Whether it be just the uh, political tensions that seem to exist in our country, the racial tension. Maybe it's the uh, insecurity of our economy. Maybe it's just the insecurity of our health and, and what uh, another pandemic might look like. All those things can get us worked up and cause panic in our life. But I want you to know 
There isn't a follower of Jesus who hasn't had to kind of wrestle at times with this struggle to reconcile what we know about God and also face the challenges that we do. When our faith and our culture collide, fear can seize us. And fear can cause us to shrink where our courage should dwell, swell. Daniel provides a great example to follow in responding to our faithful God. His commitment, his courage, and his consistency all spring from his dependence on God. I think it's a picture of what described by David in Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take a seat in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his, day, on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose wheat leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. It's a powerful picture of Daniel and it should be a powerful picture of you and me. Because God is faithful, Daniel was uncompromised when he found himself pressured by those in authority and the culture that surrounded him to conform. Because God is faithful, Daniel and his friends took courageous stands for God in opposition to the laws of the land. Because God is faithful, Daniel remained a man of prayer. Because God is faithful, Daniel confronted those in power living in sin. He interpreted dreams and visions. He spoke the plain truth in love without wavering. And he lived a life in a way that brought praise and honor to God. His dependence on God brought influence on those around him. Warren Wearsby says, in a world to which people find it easy to do what's right in their own eyes, the Lord is searching for men and women who will do what's right in his eyes and dare to be resolute. The life of Daniel teaches us that this world is not our home. It will always be a foreign land to the people of God. We're called to be strangers in this world that's surrounded by a culture that requires us to trust in the faithfulness of God, to depend on him, to find our identity, our strength, our wisdom, and our courage. We're called to be light in a dark world. We're called to be salt in a decaying world. We depend on God's faithfulness to provide absolute truth in a world that's shifting and blown away and blown around by every kind of thought or idea or perspective or an opinion. This truth is not relative. It's not up to us to define. So we must remain pure, confident, and consistent in the word of God. and still applicable to our lives and to every issue of our day. We depend on God's faithfulness to stand firm in our convictions, to have the courage to stand alone, regardless of what people think of us or even do to us. We depend on God's faithfulness to take a bold stand for biblical truth, to speak the truth in love, to offer compassion and justice, even when it goes against the grain or causes us to swim upstream. We depend on the faithfulness of God because he is sovereign. His kingdom will never end. He is our God. He's our father. He's our master. He's our king. We may have confused you last week because at the end of our services, we, we actually encourage you to read Ruth and we should have told you to read Daniel. So sorry about that. You may not have got to the end of Daniel, or maybe you started reading about chapter seven through 12 and maybe got a little freaked out by the visions and the dreams Daniel's having. But I want you to see what happened at the very end. Flip over to chapter 12 
In chapter 12, Daniel is given a vision of the end of time. I love how he closes his final words. Look at chapter 12, verse 13. Daniel's speaking to us, I think, and he says this. As for you, go your way till the end. Not just any way, not just the way that you describe or you choose, but God's way. You will rest. And then at the end of your days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Because God is faithful, you and I can depend on him. And Daniel and his three companions remained faithful to their true identity. They obeyed God and they were a shining testimony and witness of both God's faithfulness as well as God's grace. He sent them on a missionary journey, abandoning all that they knew as familiar so that they might bear a faithful and true witness to the one true God. I think they beautifully typify another Hebrew who would arrive about 600 years later, who would be taken to a foreign land and bear witness to the one true God. He left his home willingly to live in a sinful land, but he never defiled himself even once. He took on those who criticized his lifestyle. He was bold in the face of authorities of this world. He even took on Satan himself and was faithful to God's plan, even to death. He was completely dependent on God's faithfulness. And because he was, our lives and the whole world have never been the same since. This person is Jesus a powerful example of dependence on the faithfulness of God. And on a day when we as a country celebrate our independence, I think it's way past time that we as followers of God declare our dependence on him and his faithfulness. That God would equip and empower us to live lives that please him no matter what country we live in, no matter who sits in the Oval Office, no matter what legislators say is legal or illegal, no matter what the culture around us approves of, celebrates, or affirms. We choose to obey and honor God no matter what. We choose to take our cue from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is our faithful and never-ending friend. And we choose to live and love like him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the United States of America. God, I'm often just overwhelmed by the reality that I didn't choose to be born in this country. I had nothing to do with it. And yet dear friends of mine who were born in Panama or born in Mexico or born in Kenya, they don't have any, near any of the rights and opportunities that I do. And God, I didn't deserve that. But I certainly don't wanna be ungrateful, God. God, I wanna use the opportunities and the freedoms and the privileges that this country provides for your glory. God, regardless of who's in charge of this country or any other country for that matter, God, you're sovereign. So today I declare my dependence on you. God, I need you. It feels like the biggest understatement I could ever make. God, I need you for strength and wisdom and courage, especially to live in a way that's contrary to maybe what the world is headed toward or what the world even celebrates. God, I need your help to live in a way that honors you. God, I pray that all of us would declare that dependence on you, God. And I pray that you would change us from the inside out in such a powerful way that the world would notice. 
The world would notice so much that they might insult us or criticize us. They can reject us. They can do whatever they want to us, Lord. But I pray that they would not be able to overlook the fact that it's you and your light shining through us, that, God, we are salt, we are light, we are strangers and aliens in this world, all for your glory. God, I pray that they would not just notice, they'd be drawn to the light. They'd come to know you as a faithful God like we do. God, before we leave today, I just wanna lift up my friend Josh Slater, the pastor at Mount Olive General Baptist Church here in Newburgh, God. Thank you for the torch of light that his dad has carried in this community for 30 years, God. Thank you for the baton that's being passed to Josh as he now becomes the pastor of that church to lead full-time, God. Thank you for he and his wife and their several kids who have served you in all kinds of places around this world. Thanks for bringing them back to Newburgh. Thanks for the heart he has for individuals with special needs. I thank you for his life and how he's living for you. I pray that you would bless our brothers and sisters in Christ from Mount Olive. God, lock arms together with us, Lord, as we try to share your light in this community. I pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.